Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I travel to Bendigo to talk with Trev Burks of Bendigo Beer, responsible for Bendigo on the Hop, one of the best beer festivals in Australia, if not the world. We cover all kinds of topics, independence being a big one, Bolter falling to the dark side, and crucially, how much effort and work it takes to transform a beer scene in a regional town in Victoria. There is also an exclusive bit of news near the end of the podcast. And when I was listening back to this episode, I didn't realize that there was so much beautiful bird song in the background. So we did record outside in Bendigo. So the crow was just a keen advocate for good beer and wanted to join in the podcast, which it duly did until Trev dealt with it in a very masculine way. Let's get into it. Well, welcome, Trev, to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. Um, Thanks, Dan. Tell us, first off, let's start at the beginning, without giving any of your beers away. Start us off with your very first interest in beer, and then it's been quite an adventure to this point so far. (laughs) Absolutely. How did you get here? Um, I think my first memory of beer that I can think of was when I was about five and I had a Vegemite glass full of Forex in Queensland at my cousin's place. Dad uh, offered it to me as they did in the old days. But I remembered um, not liking it, so that's fine. So I had a good taste even at five. Um, but yeah, I think I turned 18 uh, in the early to mid-90s. So fair to say living in... I was at university in Ballarat, in Ballarat so the the choices were... The staple, you know, Carlton Draft, Carlton Cold, Fosters, VB, Melbourne, all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was, I think at that stage I was more about, because um, I was on $30 a fortnight from the government, <laughs> I was more about whatever I could get out of the cheap bin on a Wednesday night at the uni. So well, I think, you know, it's very kind of you to take money from the government and then pay it back, most of it back in tax that's through it. alcohol. I pay anyway. more tax than um, yeah. CB do now, so yeah. that's fine. <laughs> yes. And I did then too. Yeah. <laughs> and then what, what happens, you know, you had not very much choice, even though relatively yeah. speaking in, in that area of Melbourne, Ballarat is a m- metropolis. I mean, people from yeah. the regional towns would yeah. travel two hours yeah. to go to the, the, the McDonald's in Ballarat. <laughs> and, you know, there was, and so even though it was a bit of a wasteland in terms of beer and you pro- possibly didn't spark any interest, what happened since then? And obviously yeah. we're sat recording this in Bendigo now, mm. another great regional town. Mm. What? How did you get to this point? Yeah, so um, I think my... I've always been one of those people that have been interested. I've always been curious by nature. So even with, um, you know, drinking uh, the the macro beers early on in my life, um, every time a new brand came out, I always gave it a go. And I think I was thinking about this, you know, a few weeks ago. I was like, okay, well, I've always, when I think about it, I've always been curious and I've always been open-minded. So, um, yeah, I remember when, you know, diamond came out and i gave that a go and the green bottle and um the foster's extra 5.5 percent you know i thought that was great and there was a massive line to try foster's extra because it was a little bit more alcoholic and it was a little bit more expensive and it was a fancy bottle um 
so I've always sort of been curious about what's the next thing and uh, and and um, tasting it and so um, yeah it was it was a it was a journey uh, I could say um, but I think my first taste of real craft beer um, was about I think it was 1997 or 98 myself and a few mates we always used to go to offshore festival in Torquay every every Easter and stay at the caravan park which is the one across from what now is where Blackman's is and we we used to camp next to these guys from Merbu North and they're a little bit alternative you know they were a bit grungy had a few dreadlocks going on and um but great guys and great taste in music so we got on really well and I remember at the end of one of the nights this guy goes, oh, yeah, we've got our own brewery in Merby. And I was like, oh, cool, that's awesome. And he goes, yeah, do you want to try one of the beers? And I go, yeah, no worries. And it was the Moonshine, seven point, I think it was 7.5 or 8% um, strong Scotch Ale or something or whiskey barreled something. And because they were drinking mountains of JD and Coke, so obviously they, it was a beer that they could <laughs> they could um, stomach. But And this is Grand Ridge Brewery. Grand Ridge, yeah. yeah. So Grand Ridge... Uh, Moonshine was the first craft beer that I remember ever drinking. And I remember thinking, well, this is a bit different, um, like what most people do when they try a craft beer for the first time. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, so this is nothing like I've ever had before. But then I don't remember much after that. So, um, <laughs> it's a pretty heavy hitter, I think. It the is, shine. yeah. And it's... I was only twenty-one, so you yeah. know, come on. I, I was I basically I was a baby giraffe. It was just I was going to get <laughs> the effects were going to take hold of me no matter what happened. But it uh, that was the first memory I had of, of craft beer. Yeah, man, it's a long drive as well for them from Merbu North to Torquay. <laughs> Torquay. I mean, when you've got Inverloch and you've got yes, Waratah yes. Bay there, yeah. <laughs> Wilson's yeah. from. Yeah. Yeah, they love they, they love, love the music. Anyway, yeah, they love the music, and that's how we all connected. And I think that sort of, even now, sort of talking to a lot of brewers and beer lovers, that we still sort of um, everyone's got great taste in beer, but there's also a very common um, um, thread there of people having great taste in music as well. So I don't know, there might be something in that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk more locally about Bendigo, because what's happened in Bendigo in the last few years mm. is. Probably nothing short of remarkable in terms of a regional town and craft beer, because in you know even in towns which have a brewery, it doesn't always follow that. Mm, yeah, there's you know a catch-on effect and there's the, the kind of domino effect. Sometimes it's the opposite. <laughs> Sometimes people batten down the hatches and and that's it. So, but that doesn't seem to have happened in Bendigo, yeah. and you're at least partly responsible. <laughs> So explain yeah. why you're responsible for it, but also what, what has happened? Um, I've, I moved to Bendigo in 2005. I met a local girl and just you do what you do and you follow, you go wherever the girl is and she wanted to move back home. So I came here and, um, and got a job with Bendigo Bank. So <laughs> that was it. Um, and when I first moved here, I thought, okay, the culinary options were pretty limited it was pretty much you know a lot of different pubs um offering the the steak or the parma sort of option and there was a couple of good restaurants doing something good but um i noticed that the wine scene was awesome around here like the shiraz in bendigo and heathcote is up there with anywhere in the world um but the beer scene was just a desert so that didn't really bother me at the start but then what really transformed 
myself and then hence Bendigo, I have to give credit to Ben Krause at Bridge Road. Um, and not really... Well, actually, I have to give credit to his sister because she started going out with one of my best mates. So, so um, all of a sudden, I found myself in the car up to Beechworth to go and see, to go and see Joe. And he's like, oh, yeah, my, my brother-in-law's like, got this brewery. And I was like, yeah, cool. So we went and checked out Bridge Road and just absolutely fell in love with the beers. But also, Ben's just a really infectious sort of character. And you obviously would have met him before. And um, he's just really straight up and down and and very passionate about what he did but more importantly make great beer and that was the turning point again for me because it, it was around the time when Little Creatures was getting a bit more readily available so I'd, I tried the pale ale and so the Bridge Road pale ale um, was one of my favourites so I sort of mentioned to, to Ben oh look you know I can't get your beer anywhere in Bendigo he's like oh well why don't I just send you home with a few slabs and you can you know help out maybe sort of show it around a few pubs and see if any take take it and uh you can you know drink some on the side as well and i was like that sounds like a perfect idea <laughs> did you just listen to the very last bit of that <laughs> so yeah i was like how many so did you give me four yeah, two didn't you two yeah, yeah. So, so uh no so that's how it all started and and um it was just around that time i think where you know it's about 2009 10 where there was a food evolution as well. So it was just perfect timing. And I think um, you, you, if you go back through, you know, Crafty Pint started in 2010, Two Birds started in 2011, you know, we started doing things in Bendigo in 2011. Um, a lot of 2010, 2011 seems to be that time where you can pinpoint where it all clicked. And um, it was just, it was great to be a part of. A good Beer Week was 2011, you know, so... Yeah, it was... Um, anyway, so I, being from hospitality sort of uh, pedigree, you know, I've been working in nightclubs and pubs since I was 18. I had no... And not being a shrinking violet, I had no trouble walking into pubs and saying, hey, you know, we lo- I love your, your food and you keep banging on about how your great wine list, you know, it's all local. How, how would you like to try some, some you know, family-owned independent beer? Well, back then, you know, they were saying, oh, micro beers and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's how we started. So we, we managed to get a couple of good music venues um, on board and they put some Bridge Road Pale on tap. And I remember that being the greatest day of my life. You know, it was just so, so awesome to, one, that I'd been able to help Ben and, and Bridge Road try and get some exposure out into Bendigo. But also, I got to go to a music venue, watch live bands and drink amazing beer, you know, so... That was just awesome. And then it just snowballed from there. So um, obviously it was pre-kids and pre, you know, all the things that I've got going on now. I had a lot more spare time. Um, so, you know, after work, Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, I might just pop into a pub if I was driving past and just say good day and, and drop some samples off and started doing, um, started writing beer lists. I started doing staff training. I um, just did anything I could to make a noise about what this beer, this this thing called craft beer was all about. Um, and I think, in on reflection, I think if I'd been based in Melbourne, Bendigo Beer wouldn't have taken off because I would have been just another big, uh, small fish in a very big pond. But I think um, being in Bendigo and having access to local newspapers and Win TV or Channel 9's based here as well. So, you know, I'd always invite them to things and the press that we got about 
um, you know, antagonising change. That's what way I used to describe it. So we're just antagonise and be pleasantly annoying. Um, worked really well, um, and so it just exploded. We went from two venues in Bendigo providing anything like craft beer to over forty in two or three years. So. Um, it, but very much driven from a consumer level, um, from the drinker's point of view, and I think that's why it's resonated and worked so well and stuck as well. It's quite evangelical what you're doing, like you know you. I was really... an idiot. If I have to be honest, I was an idiot because I did it for nothing. I still do it for nothing. You know, I we've been a not-for-profit since 2013, but before that. Um, you know, some of your, your listeners might know Justin from Flight Bar in Bendigo. It was just Justin and myself. And we just did it because we love beer and, you know, we just wanted to get everyone ex- as excited about as what we were, you know, just pr- purely passionate and loving the scene, but loving the product as, mu- as well. And then aggregating everyone around us to say, come on, guys, this is a really awesome thing. Join in. And then individually changing people onto craft beer one by one and watching that expression and was just addictive um and you know we did uh there's a group up in bendigo called um young professionals network so we used to host beer tasting nights and fee lane from who is now with kaiju but she was with stone and wood mick halsey was now with hawkers he was with um with uh um bridgeport and truma pills um, we got Jane from Two Birds up. Um, Curly Beer Diva did a night where it was beer and cheese matching, and we were just like relentless in the early days, but also so much fun. And we just still did it for nothing. Like, I paid for things on my credit card and hoped like hell we'd sell enough tickets, and it went back to zero, and then I'd pay for the next event. So, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm going to start making money out of this. Um, but I didn't care because I got a job at the bank, and, and the bank. Um, Bendigo Bank is, you know, everyone knows is just an absolute champion for community out, um, outcomes. And so I just feel really lucky that I've worked for an organisation that just sort of gave me enough rope to have this hobby that, you know, has and also has resulted in what I think is a reason why people live in Bendigo now because the scene's so good. I think it is, and a lot of... Industry people have told me it's the best beer scene in regional Australia, um, and I'd probably have to agree without being biased because I, my role at the bank, I'm a national sales manager. I travel all around the country. There's not a lot of places I go that's as, as well entrenched in beer as Bendigo is. So, I think even yeah. the suburbs in inner city Melbourne, which yeah. do not have a well-developed beer scene or a beer scene at all. No. So. I mean, to come to a regional town where, you know, offering, as you say, the this, this slim pickings often when, you, you know, you're taking a risk when you go out somewhere where oh, you're going to get I'll have the Cooper's in. Green. That's all right, man. Yeah. I'll have the Cooper's Green. Yeah. That's the that amount of times I've said that. <laughs> I was like, what's your tap list look like? Oh, give us a stubbier Cooper's then. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so I, th- I suppose, yeah, it does fit in with, you know, the push on wine. But also I think there's a, there was a sense around that time as well of regional Victoria uh, like be assessing what towns had to what towns had to offer but yeah. also what they could be rightly be proud of and what was different what made them different to other towns mm. being heckled by uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's a resident it's a crow that's not that's not Graham Kennedy in the background no it's uh, uh, 
it's 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 all right. That's all right. We are in a garden bar at Handlebar. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's had one too many beers. Actually, do you want me to throw some stones at it? Do you want me to stone the crow? Yeah, stoning the crow. That would be a great Australian experience. Okay. <laughs> I haven't yet ticked that one off the list. <laughs> um, but also, even the, that said, all of that thing going on, and particularly you know in Bendigo and you kind of creating a scene, there must have been pushback as well. There must have been times where you went into a pub and you're bringing what is a weirdo beer and yeah. you didn't get a great reaction. Yeah, it's like... Well, tell, tell us about that. Yeah, that <laughs> Cause, was... Because oh, that's the fun bit. Yeah, like, if, you, if your friend buys a Ferrari, I don't want to know, but if your friend buys a Ferrari and crashes it, tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's... Um, for those that know me well, I love a soapbox. And, um, you know, part of being such a passionate... I've always been, you know, sort of passionate about what I do, whether it be, you know, family, beer, music or, or, or where I live. I loved actually walking into a contracted venue more than what I did walking into venues without a tap contract because I just love chucking, you know, chucking the cattle prod in their backside just to say, well, do you know, you know, there's an alternative and... And um, you know, oh, why would I? Why would I put that beer on, mate? I get a rebate, and I said, yeah, okay, let's talk about your rebates. When do you get it? You know, oh, 30, 90 days. All right, cool. Do you know you can? You know, and I just took them through the difference, and it's been really interesting because now we've been on the journey for what is it now? Yeah, eight years, nearly nine. The venues that I first approached nine years ago have now either fully moved or partly moved to walk to where to where it's gone and i've never had a moment where i've gloated or anything i just sort of got i've just been really satisfied that you know the movement of good beer and craft beer or indie beer or whatever you want to call it has influenced enough for for people to make business decisions around it which is fantastic but also it gave gave us and when I say us Bendigo Beer some confidence that we actually called it out a long time ago as well so that then gave us credibility when people want some advice around you know beer lists and what they do with their venue and what sort of what they want to do to 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 tap into what is um you know a fantastic industry so yeah it's it's been my 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 greatest accomplishment or yeah I'll say mine because I I've just worked on them really hard from day one was the rifle um so the rifle brigade was bendigo's last brew pub and they when the the owners took over i think it was 2009 they sold all the equipment off to tubrac and in heathcote and then they sold the equipment when they got garage projects old brewery and they sold that to willie the boatman up in marrickville so so that's that's where that journey of that brewery's been but at that stage they had like um most of the James Squire range on tap so I always sort of said oh this would be fantastic craft beer pub and it's got it's a, it's a very heritage sort of feel to it but it was a conglomerate of owners and collectively they just weren't interested because a lion were throwing too much money at them anyway over time I think it was the second year of Bendigo on the hop I invited them to be a part of the festival and I said well look don't worry about your Lion Nathan contracts you never see the line rep until you've done something wrong anyway. So why don't we just throw some, you know, mobile bars out in the in the in the back car park and we'll just do it that way so that way you're not using any taps. But if you want, we can throw a couple of beers on tap for a week or so before the festival to, you know, generate some interest. And they're like, Oh yeah, cool, no worries at all. 
anyway, so it absolutely smashed it out of the park, and they did really well, and the rifle did a fantastic job, and um, and uh, I went in on the Monday to do an interview with Win TV. They just wanted to Channel Nine, as it's known now, and um, they wanted to you know do a wrap up and do a wrap up story of how the weekend went. And I was literally filming, and the Lion Nathan rep sort of walked in behind me and was having robust discussions with the owners about how you can't do this and you can't do that. I think that then triggered with them the penny drop for them to say hang on this is our business we want to do what we want and this is what the market wants so no and then they let their line nathan contract expire and they've now they've 26 taps uncontracted 12 craft beers on tap bridge road's got a permanent tap blackman's have a permanent tap Brooks, our local brewery here in Bendigo, has got a permanent tap. Like, it's been fantastic. They've still got other beers on, but it's their choice, and if they stop selling, they can replace them. And that's what my main message to publicans has been. Um, my, f- my family have a pub in Bendigo. We've never had contracts. We've always had Carlton Draft on tap. One, because that's the market out where we are near the mine, a lot of Western Australians and Queenslanders. But, um, but two... I wanted to demonstrate hand on heart to a lot of venues in Bendigo to say, look, we've got our own venue. We don't have any contracts. You can still have macro beers on and still provide tap space for independence and provide diversity in your product offering, but more importantly, have total control over what what you do in your own business. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the, that's when it all started changing. So it was... It was, yeah, it was satisfying. I just, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it does sound like a, a brilliant moment. You know, as you say, you know, you only hear from the rep when you do something wrong and when you step out of yeah, line. Yeah. And when was the last time that that rep generated Win TV coming down? Yeah, correct. To, to the rival, yeah, you know? yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, and that, that has become a, yeah. a, one of the most popular venues yes. of, like, the tickets for people picking up their tickets yeah, yeah. for the Bendigo on a hop. That must be one of the first one venues. Of the f- oh, well, the handlebar the sold out in five hours this year. But, um, mm. yeah, Rifle usually sells out the quickest, um, mainly because it's at the top of the hill and no one wants to walk uphill <laughs> at the end of the day. That's <laughs> <laughs> my theory anyway. Um, yeah, and handlebar's closest to the and station. And handlebar's <laughs> closest to the railway station. So, so everyone from Melbourne wants to finish here um, or start here. So... Um, yeah because, yeah, because it's such a wide geography that people have to try. I mean, the, the longest walk is, what, 200 metres or something? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's not. Yeah, no, I think the whole course for the festival is now about 1.5 k's. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. And I think, again, it's it's a festival that can't be replicated. Or it could, but it would be hard to replicate anywhere else in Australia. It is, we're into year seven now, and I've noticed there's a few festivals that have attempted to, to you know, carbon copy what we do and it hasn't from more reports that they haven't worked as well as ours i think mostly because we have the scene here we have the venues in close proximity and dedicated venues that have been doing this for a while and that's why it works really well here not saying look i hope all festivals go really well like i think at the at the heart of everything i'm just a beer nerd who wants everyone to drink what i drink so no matter where i so um, it's not really about you know um, sheltering our festival and hoping that no one replicates it if you want to replicate it fantastic but my main message to to people who want to do that is you need to spend time building the scene first I spent eight years maybe not have to do that but the strength of 
the festival and also Bendigo is because we've been really driven by the drinker and the people buying the beer, whereas scenes in other regional cities have been driven by business people who want people to, you know, support good beer but so that their venue will flourish. And so that doesn't click as well as what ours have because, yeah, we're standing there saying, we want to drink this beer and if you don't put it on, we'll go and drink somewhere else. Like, not as confrontational as that, but that's the underlying message. So I think that's why we've worked, we've been so successful. But I think one of the things of Bendigo on the Hop, uh, partly, as you say, because you've built the scene, there's a level of authenticity when Integrity. when it's delivered. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is I mean, <laughs> Bendigo is just a beautiful, beautiful place. You know, there's yeah. Rosslyn Park, and when you stand, look at the fountain across. Yeah. I mean, there are very few regional towns quite as beautiful on it. Oh. You know, and the last couple of Bendigo on the Hops have been crystal clear sunshine. <laughs> blue sky i mean amazing days the other fact is is you know you get the sense that the rest of bendigo even if they aren't participating directly in the festival they understand that they're benefiting from it Absolutely. and it, it's kind of exciting for a regional town and this is going to sound patronizing but it's really exciting to have two thousand people Two and a half thousand people. Two and a half thousand people. Sorry, <laughs> come on, it's a lot of work. You know. Don't sell me short. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half thousand people arriving on your doorstep yeah. to kind of spend the whole day yeah. celebrating your town and, yeah. and and not not just having to walk around, but actually being in the venues, talking to people, yeah. having what's on offer. Yeah. And if that if I was growing up in Bendigo, I mean, it would be. Yeah. what a spectacle what yeah. a wonderful day it is oh, it's it's really it it is something I, I'm not really one for, for <laughs> that crow I'm about to shoot do you mind if I just stop and throw some rocks at that <laughs> um, so um, I I'm not one for stopping and celebrate I don't celebrate much um, but I think things like this and in this podcast and you know you've invited me to have a chat is that actually really really proud of what we've done because um and when i say we you know there's steve joe dylan Alyssa, hamish chris in the early days marie claire in the early days um um you know i've probably forgotten someone but it's a team effort of people who are just really passionate about bendigo and beer obviously, um, but just want people to enjoy what we're now enjoying. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been astronomical. But also, let's talk about the nuts and bolts of a festival because it seems like a really high-risk strategy because festivals can really be, you know, you can live and die, like particularly in the early years when you, you haven't built up the reputation of trust. I mean, particularly with local council mm. and, you know, sentiments around, you know, potentially having lots of, um, <laughs> lots of, <laughs> lots of um, you know, people consuming alcohol. On the streets. On the streets. Yeah. Walking around. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a, there's people that doesn't sound great if you're just so, a commoner yeah. garden Bendigo yeah. resident and you think, well... Who are all these people coming into my town drinking high-strength beers and, you know, walking around? Um, you must have faced some opposition to it. 
I far from this crow yeah. this crow probably uh, probably works for the councillor <laughs> yeah he does <laughs> it's the spi- the spirit of CUB is hanging above me Hang on. one sec just press pause <laughs> Just pretend it's a gunshot. Okay, thank you. I don't have a gun. That's all right. Um, No, so we're... Again, I think it was all about relationships. I'm very relationship-focused. So um, having a great relationship with the guys at council and in tourism and, you know, economic development department and all that sort of thing, they were always very um, supportive from day one, which was was fantastic. Why, Why do you think that was... Why do you think they were support? Because high level of trust that and brand equity that Bendigo Beer had built over time in terms of being staunch advocates of where we live, proven advocates of local venues, and I don't know. I have a knack for getting people to do what I want. I don't know. <laughs> I I I I think because I'm so passionate about what we do and 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 other and the other guys at Benny Beer are so passionate about what we do that's infectious but we're also individually our day jobs we're all business people I've run my own business you know I was a business banker for a long time um, I've uh, other uh, skill sets in our um, in our group are accounting um, you know policy procedure risk compliance all that sort of thing so we had all the bases covered, and when we approached, we had a pretty straightforward business plan to say, look, if this happens, we've got exit strategy A, B, and C. And so they were just like, cool, you guys know what you're doing. Let's have a go. Um, it also helped that we had a wine festival that allows you to walk on the streets with wine. So I said, well, our beers are 5%, the wines are 14 You can't say no to this. <laughs> and they're like, oh, God, great. You got us over a barrel. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Over a barrel, yeah, over a wine barrel. Wine barrel. How how ironic. Um, But um, so, yeah, it's worked worked really well. But fundamentally, I was really confident that the the people who were buying a ticket to this festival were not going to be sitting there drinking 12 UDLs and, you know, going silly. It was really about the beer and the culture. So, and every year without fail, um, if we get all the market data... uh, and, and from our ticket sales, average age is 36, 55%, 45% male, female, so a high female participation rate, which, which I think is fantastic for the, for the industry. But also, yeah, it's just that real interest in, in what the festival is about. It's a tasting festival that's not really about just sitting at a footy oval and trying to get through your tokens as much as you can and... So, you know, I think that it's mobile as well and incorporating food and music, it just works really well. So, yeah, yeah. we have, we've, touch wood, um, we haven't had any incidents um, in the six years. So yeah. it's been great. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, moving two and a half thousand people for a tea party, you'd probably have one or two <laughs> incidents, wouldn't you? But, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's... It the is. hardest part of the festival is organising brewers. They're like herding cats, you know. It's just... I love them, but God damn, you know, they're so busy. And look, they are so busy. Um, and our festival's a little bit different. We do not charge breweries to be in our festival. They don't, they don't pay a site fee. Um, they do contribute. It's similar to the Gabs model. Um, and I have to thank Steve and Guy from Gabs, you know, for supporting us in the early days. They helped us out with tasting cups. So we used to, they'd do Gabs and then they'd be like, Steve, okay, cool, how many 
leftover tasting cups you've got in your shipping <laughs> container. And Stevie will be like, yeah, cool, I'll put you in touch with that guy at the warehouse. And, we, you know, he helped us out. So the guys at Gabs were fantastic. Um, but I stole their idea around, you know, maybe I needed to make it... The idea of the festival was I wanted it to be win, win, win. So win for the venue who's put their neck out to support this thing called craft beer. A win for the breweries because um, being such a passionate brewery advocate and and being great friends with a lot of brewery owners that they were always complaining they were losing money from festivals. Mm-hmm. And so, but also I needed a win for the punter so that they would continue to come back but also see the value in what mm-hmm. we were doing. So I had to sort of formulate how do I do that so it was the idea from Gabs to say hey we have a set price for a set ABV and all that sort of thing so but ultimately I didn't want to charge them to be in the festival it was all about this festival was all about the brewers I wanted them to be the rock stars I've spoken to a number of the breweries involved in Bendigo on the hop in the past few years Mm -hmm. and by and large they say it's the favorite festival to come to yeah I'm and I'm so pleased it's not just me that hears that (laughs) thanks um yeah and that's another thing what that we're really proud about is that you know we're not the biggest festival in australia we're not the one that makes the most noise but we are fiercely independent breweries only um and the brewers that do come yeah the feedback we get they say it's it's their most it's the favorite one for the whole year because it's really about the beer and we don't this is a beer festival you can't get cider you know, there's no cider as part of the offering. There's no wine as part of the offering. It's a beer festival. Yes, you can go to venues and buy a wine or a, a wedge, you know, if you like. Um, and, you know, that happens because ultimately when you become popular, you know, the cool kids and the jocks want to come along and hang out with the beer nerds and they don't drink beer. So um, <laughs> that's all right. That's an I, ongoing I, challenge. <laughs> yeah, I did see one table full of uh, wine and cider no, like early they would have been in their early 20s and uh, there was a, a, about 11 bo- empty yeah. bottles of Corona yeah. <laughs> it's like you'd take the horse to the water yeah. <laughs> it's like why are you here I don't know it was cool and everyone else is doing it so we thought we'd give it a go how good's this craft beer it's got a lime in it oh fantastic yeah um, so anyway that we're, we're getting there I think this year was the best it didn't really it wasn't as prevalent as in past years definitely in the early years that happened a lot um, but now it's because the bulk of our ticket sales would come from Bendigo and Central Victoria and then 40, 42% this year was outside of Bendigo. So 30% were from Melbourne. So we had a lot of people get on the train or come up for a couple of nights from Melbourne um, and we were really pleased with that. It's another reason why tourism are always happy to support us because we're proving that this is our draw card. But yeah, we wanted to be unique. We didn't want to be like every other festival. So as I said, we're not the biggest, we're not the best, we don't make the most noise. But um, I think for the money that you pay, like the 68 bucks and you get $45 worth of beer as part of your ticket, I don't think, we'd we'd probably say we're the best value festival in Australia. But at the same time, the brewers don't have to pay to be in it. They sell beer, they sell the kegs before they even rock up to Bendigo. Their only real cost is you know accommodation for the sales rep or the whoever wants to come along so i'm really happy about that and i think that's why the brewers love it yeah Yeah. it's just a lovely day out i mean i've been to three i think three of the last four and just yeah immensely enjoyed it every time and and look forward to it every year so 
we're here to talk through six beers to change everything. Oh, yeah, hey, yeah. Remember that? <laughs> I do. Um, I do yeah. actually tend to waffle on, Ian. So no, no, on. it's all, all great content. I think, uh, and and I've, we've got. I feel like we could continue talking, but <laughs> I, I also feel like. Uh, it's kind of the format of the podcast that we have to squeeze six beers in. Okay, well, okay, sorry. Let's talk about beer. So, cho- choice one. Let's get uh, all right. So, as I mentioned earlier, my first <laughs> my first foray into craft was, uh, you know, eight percent Scotch ale from Grand Ridge. But um, I think the penny drop for me, taste wise, uh, and I th- I think it's pretty. And obviously, my vintage being a seventies baby, um, and when beer began to change, um, was was Who Garden. Um, that was the first one I can remember actively seeking out when I went out. Or I drank, my mates and I drank a lot at the Belgian Beer Cafe at St Kilda Road and it was just a cool place to sit. Like you'd finish work and sit out in this beer garden and it was just it was just awesome. In the glassware. Old, yeah, the glassware. <laughs> um, sorry, the glassware. Um, <laughs> yeah. sorry. The glassware and then having to remortgage yeah. your house to, yeah, to buy yeah. around. <laughs> Oh, no, it's fine. I didn't have a mortgage then, so it was okay. Um, I was single, so it's fine. I just spent all the money on going out. But it was just, um, it was the first beer that I yeah, I remember really latching onto and um, that was different to the, the lagers. Um, so, yeah, I just I just loved it and just sorted out. It, I, tr- I was still traveling for work then, so, you know, there was Belgian beer cafes everywhere around Australia at that stage. Um but that then sort of moved me on to a lot of the German styles. Um, so that's that was the beer that I think the penny dropped for me anyway. Do you know why? What, what was it about the beer? Was it the, the presentation or the flavour or the carbonation or the difference? Or Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a peacock. So I think going to the bar and coming back with massive glasses full of beer always, you know, sorry, I'm always my shout, you know, and... And it was that was an element of that, but yeah, the taste was the the banana estuary sort of um, you know, and the aroma and just the drinkability of it as well. Yeah. It was the hazy before hazies, you know. It was yeah. that was the original hazy for me anyway. Yeah. I always sort of and you know in summer it's just and memories and the and the whole you know the feeling around it was just was great and it was a little bit had a little bit more alcohol to it than the other beers too but that, that was that was a bonus and that was my reasoning as to why i paid a little bit extra but yeah it was it was a it was a fantastic beer and still is i actually bought one it was a couple of months ago and i thought oh, i haven't had one of those for a while i might try it just for shits and giggles and um i was like yep it's exactly how i remember it so and it's still an underrepresented style uh, in australia yeah it, I must admit, my lupulin threshold shift meant that I haven't really been into um, Belgians or, or wheat beers for a long time. Um, but then it was about three months ago when I, I stopped drunk, drinking coffee. Today's my first coffee in three months, so uh, I'm bouncing off the walls at the moment. But I actually still sort of, I need to get a bit more health conscious. So I started um, seeking out the Erdinger um, alcohol free Hefeweizen. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I like this beer. <laughs> I was like, why don't I drink them anymore? It's because the market's flooded with hazies and, you know, all these other styles and um, hop-forward beers. So um, I really enjoyed it. And now that the weather's started to warm up again, I think I'm going to be drinking um, Hefeweizens and wheat beers a lot more over the 
over the uh, the next few months. So it's kind of like an old friend, isn't it? You know, you're not in touch for ages, and then you give them a call, and you're like, yeah. oh, why don't I call you more?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, did you change phone numbers yeah. or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is like an old, you know, it's like yeah. an old warm hug. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, this is awesome. I feel I feel 24 again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, uh, choice two. All right. So my beers that I've chosen or I've narrowed down um, were all memorable beers where I still in my mind it sticks with me the first time I had it. So my second choice is a pretty popular one I would say but it was the Stone and Wood Draft Ale which became the Pacific Ale but I'm showing my age because it was Draft Ale when I started drinking it but I still remember coming home with this six pack I went to, I think it was First Choice or Dan's. I don't think they were stocking it anywhere in Bendigo in any of the other bottle shops. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll give this a go. I've heard something about it, and I thought I'll give it a go. And I still remember, I was like, holy shit, what is this? Um, and that was the end of me. <laughs> it was, if I was sort of, you know, 50-50 craft beer, macro beer in 2008... In 2009, I was fully craft beer. It was, that was it. So, um, and I just loved the story. Um, I started, that was my first sort of, you know, fanboy sort of beer where I'd sort of go to beer festivals and find Brad Rogers and bother him for five minutes and, and Jamie and, you know, all those guys, Ross, and they were all just really open and honest. And then as the time went on, as I said, 2010, 2011, their Victorian rep fee, uh, Fiona Lane, she was just awesome to deal with and always helped us out. Ben- Stone and Wood Pacific Ale is, a re- is one of the beers that changed Bendigo. Actually, it was um, I had to write them down because I didn't want to forget anyone, but the beers that changed Bendigo were Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, Bridge Road Pale Ale, Holgate Temptress and Two Birds Golden Ale. They were the four beers that we pretty much used at every tasting in the early days when no one knew what craft beer was. They were the four beers that, with those four, we changed a town, a city. So they're almost, all of them are kind of the Trojan horse, aren't they? Yes, yeah. It's like, and I don't think, uh, particularly in the world of social media and things, you know, beers like this get a lot of heat because it's like, well, you know, they're not flavoursome enough and blah, blah, but they're exceptionally important (sighs) for getting people... Like as a gateway, yeah. Because once you have a well-made, preservative-free craft beer, you c- you can't go back, no, can you? No, it's nah. you can't go back to it. And like nah. that Stone and Wood draft, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like and also the, the when you describe that as it as it blown you away, yeah. It's not a high percentage beer. No, nah. it's not like f- you know knock your socks off beer. But what a testament that mm. a beer at that percentage yeah. of that style can blow your socks off. You and know, what I'm really impressed really? with about Stone and Wood is that, well, one, you know, they've kept the recipe exactly the same the whole way through. But here we are sitting in a craft beer bar in Bendigo owned by 25 local locals that have banded together to build a craft beer bar in 2019 and the number one selling stubby out of the fridge is Stonewood Pacific Ale wow um, into, you know so, so ten, over 10 years 10 on 10 years on you know and every time we have it on tap it sells uh, really well 
so I'm just yeah I, I just yeah couldn't I can't thank those guys enough, for, but they probably can't thank me enough for spending all that money on them. But because um, I have bought a few over the over the journey, you know, and 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 our family pub out of Junison's got stone and wood cloud catcher on tap now. It's Pacific Ale for people who have had a lupulin threshold shift, and it, but that still sells really well. The Pacific Ale slabs. See, really, what it's really interesting is having a craft beer bottle shop, and now people come in and they buy one or two of everything and do a mix six or a mix dozen, or they'll buy a four pack or a six pack. People still buy slabs of Stonewood Pacific Ale, like it's going out of fashion. That and Bridge Road Pale Ale easily will come in and go, yeah, I'll just get a slab of that. It's like, wow. That's, and that's impressive in this day and age when everyone has got attention deficit disorder when it comes to beer. Yeah, cool, mate. Yeah, Bridge Road Pale, whatever, boring. Where's your latest release I need to put on Instagram so everyone sees how cool I am? Um, and I'm guilty of that too. But... Um, at the end of the day, you know, what's your fridge beer? My fridge beer is Bridge Road Pale and Stonewood Pacifico. I don't care. Because I know if a mate who comes over that is not a craft beer drinker will drink it. And it's just amazing. So, yeah, it's it changed me. But it also, you know, hats off to Jamie Braden and the crew up there for changing Bendigo beer scene. And in a regional town, a lower percentage beer where a lot of people are driving or going to a barbecue. Yeah. And also, you know, if you're going to a barbecue, you don't want to take, you know, if you know you're going to be sharing beers, you don't want to be taking a, <laughs> you know, 8% hazy IPA or something, you know. Which oh, if you, I don't want to share beers, I'll take a 12%, you know, barrel-aged <laughs> imperial. Um, but I'll just take something with a cork yeah, in. I'm still, <laughs> Any beers yeah, with a cork in. Yeah, no, I'm still like, I'm not a total craft beer nerd. I still hang with people who don't drink craft beer. It's all good. I don't, it's like, you know, in 2019, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got a mate who drinks macro. You know, it's like, I've still got friends who sort of go, oh, I can't drink that stuff. I'll just drink. I was like, yeah, cool. But if I take Stonewood Pacific Ale, they mysteriously disappear out of the esky, you know. Um, so sometimes I just do it on purpose. And Two Birds Gold Nail yeah. is no more. Yeah, I know. The end of the yeah. production line. Yeah, I know. End of an but era. I, the best story I had about Two Birds Gold Nail, my wife, it's her, my wife's favourite beer, and Nicole was down in Melbourne for work, and she rang me and she's like, hey, I'm in Melbourne, do you, do you reckon we should stock up on Two Birds Gold Nail? I was like, yeah, cool. I said, but you're catching the train. She's like, yeah, I know, such a shame. Anyway, so I rang Jane. I was like, hey, Jane, how you going? She's like, hey, Trevor, blah, blah, blah. Nick's train leaves in about an hour. Do you reckon you could get a couple of slabs to her at Southern Cross and I'll pay you over the phone? And she's like, yeah, cool. So Jane drove <laughs> drove to Southern Cross, runs to whatever platform Nick was at, and Nick's like, yeah, cool, and then just throws her a slab. We only managed to get one, but I threw her a slab of Two Birds Golden Ale and I picked her up from Benigo Railway Station. Nick's walking out with a slab of Two Birds Golden Ale. And I was like, oh, it's so good. But that was... That was also the community, and it's still a great community now, but back in the early days, everyone knew everyone, and that's what I'm really... It was just such a awesome scene to be part of, and at the end of the day, you know, I love beer, but I love people more, and it was more about the community and the connected, connectiveness of everyone, and Jane was just... Jane and Danny from Two Birds were just massive um, supporters of us, and, and hence... Bendigo beer of two birds. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, I, I love that story. Like, James is like, yep, no worries. Jumps in the car, drives down, <laughs> drops it off, gives it to Nick. Nick jumps on the train. 
not allowed to have any alcohol on the train. And she's like, oh, no. You know. <laughs> on the mule, on the mule today. But it was all for her. It's like she drank it all. So, yeah, it was fantastic. Anyways, yeah, so Stone and Wood. Yeah. Great choice. And choice three. Yeah. yeah um, so the next memorable beer, which I still remember trying for the first time, um, once I sort of got through all the initial, you know, I drank uh, wheat beers and then onto the Stone and Woods, and I was really, I sat in the pale ale space for a long time. Um, again, another trip up to Beechworth to, to see Joe and Corinne, but Ben's like, hey, have you tried this Saison? And it was the Chevalier Saison. And that was another memorable beer where I just thought, yeah, this is the shit. This is awesome. And we, you know, we had the blue cheese um, pear pizza with, it was just a classic pairing. And he's like, this is the best beer we make. I was like, yeah, I can see why. Um, and so hence that became part of my <laughs> arsenal when we were doing beer tastings around Bendigo. And yeah, and it's still, I've got a couple of stubbies in the fridge now as we speak in my at, at home of the Saison. Um and it was just a exceptional beer, so well made. I still think it's one of the top saisons in in Australia. And it's funny how where breweries now start, they they use that as the, the pinpoint of where they need it theirs to get. Obviously, exit saisons really well made. Um, you know, Fraser and Grum are just legends. Yeah, but the, the Chevalier saison, I think it was the seven fifty mil bottle, and that just blew people away when I... And also pubs in Bendigo. I was like, how am I supposed to put that in the fridge? I said, like, put it with your wine and, you know, charge $26 a bottle, that was, which is cheap now, but in 2012, $26 a bottle was a lot. And people bought it and people loved it. And it was a beer that converted a lot of non-beer drinkers. It was a beer that converted a lot of, <laughs> dare I say accountants real estate agents and solicitors who just wanted to look fancy in front of their friends um but you know went back to drinking corona after they finished the saison but at least they've drunk a saison (laughs) um i think it's also one of those interesting beers in the respect that when australia you know the craft beer movement started in australia there's always a sense of oh oh, is this just good you know locally or is this good on an international scale and that is one of the beers like really one of the first that you could really point to and say if i bought a saison in europe that could stand alongside it yeah very proudly yeah and now we've kind of become a bit complacent because we just expect our beer to be international quality but back when say that um saison came out it wasn't yeah. there wasn't those no. international comparisons so no. it was a, a really special beer in that respect and i suppose um you know the this is before the the tinny took off as well and um you know mm. so so the serving of the bottle and yeah. getting craft beer into restaurants yeah, exactly. that was really hard yeah because of the yeah. reputation be it well because of the da- damage like people had done to yeah. beer as a drink yeah. in australia and the connotations that was really important as well as a you know a forerunner to pave the way for craft yeah. beer to be acceptable in restaurants yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because in the early days and we still do beer and wine dinners now but in the early days i did a lot of beer versus wine dinners because i thought how do i get more people onto beer well get the wine guys and um and having so many wineries within close proximity to bendigo had 
and a lot of the wine wineries around Bendigo love what we do and work with us really well because they love beer as well. Um, I thought you were going to say that you just chose the worst winery, so you <laughs> you defeat them every time. No, no, it's, it's, uh, no. I, I would fair to say there's no bad wineries around here. Uh, so there's so I I love the the saison, the Chevalier saison from Bridge Road because of the bottle. It sat. It looked. It had its place on the dinner table and it, it looked the part. I remember my mother-in-law saying, oh, no, I don't drink beer. And then she she was like, holy, what is this? You know, And she said, oh, I can drink that, no trouble at all. It's like, perfect. Um, so that became our Christmas beer for the next few years. Um, and I do drink a lot of Saison at Christmas. Um, so uh, it was a really... It was a big eye opener for a lot of people. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was an aha moment for a lot of people. And yeah, I just love that beer. I I don't have any other descriptives for it. I'm running out of words, really. (laughs) It's just awesome. Everyone try it. (laughs) Speaks for itself. And it's still around now and still made as well as ever. And that's another thing is that what I love about the Chevalier Saison, it tastes pretty much exactly as what I remember it when I first tried it. That's a massive tick to Ben and the crew. At, at, at Bridge Road because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of breweries out now you know what are we up to close to nearly 700 around Australia um, the challenge that we've got to match the growth as I see it and I've sorry I've got my IBA hat on now so I'm the state project manager for IBA in, in Victoria but the quality's got to match the growth because you know as we're seeing with the buyouts and the ones that are doing beer really well, time after time after time, no matter where you drink it, whether you drink it in Perth or Brisbane, the beer tastes exactly the same. Great quality, great value. That's the that's that that's the ultimate goal, and and that's why Bridge Road have been so successful. Yeah, they they tinker around with their pale ale recipe every now and again, um, but fundamentally, it's still basically the same recipe as when I first drank it in two thousand eight. Mm. So. Yeah. And part of that, I believe, is because of availability of raw materials and quality yeah. of raw materials, etc. So, yeah, yeah there, there, it is an interesting point in terms of how much latitude you have to kind of put something different in, in the same branded bottle. Um, but if it's great beer... <laughs> I love great beer, yeah. Well, Trev, we're halfway through and <laughs> we have been... Um, we're recording this the day after... We had a bit of news in the craft beer scene, which was that Balter Brewing mm. are no longer independent. Mm. They've been bought by CUB. Yeah. Um, Surprise! Not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew the day they changed Pilsner to Lager, I was like, yeah, nah, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this will be an interesting kind of time capsule, really, because if you're listening to this in four years' time, this is going to be I mean this feel I mean let's paint the picture of this feels big yes. like Bolter you know who have the independent seal on the can yeah uh, they are have been making great beers yeah. but also beers that really not the most adventurous beers necessarily no. but ones that really caught light on social media yeah. the branding the marketing they have done a lot for the beer scene in Australia, and now they're now they've been bought out, mm. and perhaps they will say they will continue to do amazing things for the beer mm. scene in Australia. Yeah. Does independence matter? 
<laughs> you asshole, would you ask me that? <laughs> um, well, obviously, now being involved with the IBA, uh, of course it does. <laughs> um, but look, I've always been staunch advocates of family-owned businesses. I've, I was brought up in family-owned business environments, so um, independence doesn't matter. It's good question. I need to think about this for a second. Hmm. <laughs> it does matter. Um, I think with the number of buyouts since Mountain Goat, um, and I, if I backtrack, I was a broken man when Mountain Goat was sold because you know I had such a great relationship with Dave Benighton, especially, but you know Wags and Tommy Delmont and Frakie, who's one of the best sales reps you'll ever have, and and that whole team that when they sold I think I was more broken then than what I was yesterday because I think on retrospect it's very easy because you if you hindsight I should say it's very easy you look for the signs you think oh yeah cool well this is obviously you know Pirate Life 2.0 it's a business plan it was well executed um, it was started by people who weren't really into beer they we're lucky enough to secure probably one of the best brewers in Australia and Scotty Hargrave, who's a fantastic bloke, very passionate about what he does and makes fantastic beer. Um, but I think it's another example, I suppose, of the larger breweries executing a well-orchestrated plan to chip in or confuse people around what good beer is, what independence is, um, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, that sort of thing. Um, and I think the it's been really interesting reading and listening to the team from Bolter sort of as to why they did it and, you know, don't worry, nothing's going to change. And, you know, and I know Scotty's so passionate about his beer, so I 110% believe him when he said, oh, I wasn't going to sell unless I could keep things exactly the same. The only comment I suppose is that you know myself I work for a top 60 ASX listed company and ultimately we're answerable to shareholders and um, history will, will also has also shown that once Pirate Life and Four Pines sold their sales have dipped you know if only a little but their sales have dipped and so that then means the accountants might get involved and so even though you might have a five-year contract that says you can't change anything until the five years is up that's that's not a guarantee um, when you've got a, such a large company um, driving a portfolio of brands, and that was interesting to hear that you know the, the number of times that brand was mentioned, and um, so they are a brand. But even if they do get through to the five years where nothing's changed, what happens after that five years? Then it does change. So independence does matter because if without independence you don't have really that drive to innovate. So. I suppose what you can credit independent beer for since it really took off in, I think we're saying 2011, it's forced the bigger breweries to pay attention to what this thing is. So in the early days, you know, pubs never heard from their line Nathan rep until they needed to renew their contract. They never heard from their CUB rep until a new product came out. Now they're actively contacting them saying, hey, is it okay? Do you need anything else from us? Um, so it's it's got it's lit a fire under them to say look we should really pay attention to this and and it it could be every chance that Bolter turns out to be Matilda Bay 2.0 where they get bought and then systematically strip back 
to the point where Phil Sexton comes out of retirement and says, don't worry, guys, I'm going to take this back to where it should have been. And by the way, I'm not poo-pooing any beer. There's, there's just some beers are better than others. But, um, yeah, I think definitely CUB have seen the error of their ways in how they treated Matilda Bay and are doing better um, in the way that they've operated Pirate Life and Four Pines um, and also how they basically let Bolter, what sounds like they let Bolter dictate the sales of the terms of the sale um, as to what they get and who stays and who doesn't. Um, but time will tell. I think it's interesting as well, the Mountain Goat sale as comparison because to that point there was kind of little precedent for it and also I think that did create an immediate fracture in terms of staffing yeah. in terms of yep. how things are going to be organised and you know like Tommy Delmont's yeah. spoken about it and said you know he just had no ideas he was out on the road and gets a call saying that it's sold and yeah. he had no idea yeah. um, and I suppose with, with hindsight you, you look back at you know the production out in Laverton yeah. and things like that and you think well yeah. of course it, the decks were being cleared for that <laughs> eventuality but you know you can well understand that you could be in the, so close to the business that you don't realize what's happening and then with the the bolter sale i suppose it's it's less surprising but what's interesting is you know that that kind of five-year clause or hang it seems to be hanging on doesn't it i mean it's it's yeah. a, it's it's an ex the five-year clause almost accepts that the inevitable is going to happen yes which is going yeah. to happen in year six yeah yeah so I mean, but it is also very, you know, you can't knock. These people have set up a business. They've had, you know, I think in excess of 40 investors. 46, yeah. And, you know, they all took a gamble um, and they need to pay the bills and a mortgage, etc. And also, how amazing a deal if somebody comes along, buys your brewery and says everyone gets to keep their jobs. It's like getting, it's like someone sort of walking up to you and giving a letter from... You know, you get that letter from Lieutenant Dan, so you don't have to worry about none more, no more. And it's like, oh, cool, one last thing, you know. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely no knock on um, the guys behind Bolter and why they did it and um, the outcome for that's 46 shareholders now that, you know, are either debt-free or close to being debt-free or I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. I'm just speculating. But that's a fantastic result. Um, but I think why Mountain Goat hit me so hard but also why I was so glad for Cam and Dave is that they were in it for 15 years before they sold. They put in the hard yards. They they had to, you know, they weren't going through the craft beer brick wall with a sledgehammer. They were going through it with a tiny little pick and just, you know, doing a short, Shawshank Redemption sort of thing over a number of years, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember reading an interview, I think, on yeah. the, like, it would have been her tenth birthday or something, and yeah. they said, "Don't get into craft beer for money." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can kind of that was yeah. So sorry, seriously, guys, we're broke. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of really stuck yeah. with me. And then even the the things that they had, where they would reward their staff members, I think, for riding a bike to work and things yeah. like you know, just these small details that yeah. just seemed. Uh, you know, I, I had my wedding reception in Mountain Goats when it was still independent, so you know, you lucky it, man. It, it cut to me as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, I suppose there is a sense in the craft beer scene generally that everyone's yeah. kind of 
yeah. a ticking bomb ready to be, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously there'll be some breweries out there now who are very sad that CUB have run out of money. <laughs> James <laughs> just spent up big in there and it's like, just before Christmas, come on, we've got to buy the kids presents. Yeah. No more spending until no, July C- next CUB's year. like everyone else. They'd pour until February, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it's, it was, but I remember the, the goat sale and, you know, even though I was devoted <laughs> um, because, you know, I'd just, decided that year in 2015 that Bendigon Hop was going to be independent breweries only and then they sold and then they sponsored Mountain Goat sponsored us in 2015 and then a month later they sold um I was so happy for Cam and Dave and so happy for their families because like I saw I hadn't seen Dave in ages and I he was at the Holgate grand opening um I was heavily involved in the early days of helping Holgate, Holgate's little foray into expansion and um, through the bank, my capacity at the bank. So I was lucky enough to be involved in that. And so the, I went along to the to the um, launch and Dave was there and I nearly cried and gave him a hug and, you know, because I don't see him a lot anymore, obviously, because, you know, he's not independent and he does and he'll, he'll admit himself he doesn't really get around beer as much as he used to. Um but he, he's just one of the best people you'll ever meet and so genuine and genuinely gave a shit and that's why he did it for a long time for not much money. Actually, maybe he's as silly as me. I did it for a long time with no money. But um, he was just, you know, a fantastic brewer and really cared about his staff and really... And it was just the right decision at the right time and I, I'll admit, I buy the odd mountain goat beer every now and again if they bring out a... Re- release because ian morgan's just a fantastic brewer he's a great guy the speciality Uh, releases have been just tremendous as good as ever um you know i just with my bendigo beer hat on i just don't publicly promote them like i used to because they're not indie anymore so but i still respect the brewer and i respect the beer and um and it's all i think it's out of that sort of like your first girlfriend you never forget <laughs> you know you see him down the street and you still give him a hug and yeah. stuff it's just i've tried to forget mine mm, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah 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 Actually, that's a bad analogy anyway so, but you know what i mean or maybe your first car i don't know um it was just you know i was so stoked to bump into him at the Holgate opening because i'd spoke with him all night and just It's just awesome. And they just wouldn't have survived as long as they did without authenticity and passion behind for for good beer. And I think, and and also, I think there's very few breweries who will be bought out who will leave a legacy like Mountain Goat. No, like their legacy and what they did for the industry in total. I know you asked me a question about Bolter, but we've gone on about Mountain Goat. But I think it just my point was is that. Mountain Goat put in a lot of hard yards for a long time before they sold, whereas the Bolter guys, it's sort of, in hindsight, as I said, it feels like it was just a well-executed business plan. Um, they did a fantastic job in bringing, and I'm talking about Bolter now, um, they, they've done a fantastic job in bringing non-craft beer people into the space. Um, so you've got to credit them for that and to making it more accessible. Um, and... You know, the team at Bolter, like, I know we have a bit to do with Dave Myers and Luke Tremuen, and they've always been really good and supported. You know, they, they, they were at Bendigo on the Hop this year, um, so they've always been great advocates. So you can't fault them from that point of view. Um, it's just that I'm not, can I say, I'm not as fussed 
as I used to be with buyouts now. I'm like, oh, cool, well done, cool. Um, I'll move on to the other 650 that need my help. You guys don't need any, you, I mean, know, it, you it, don't it, need my money anymore, that's fine. And But the fan thing, you know, if I get to go to the MC, I'm an MCC member and unfortunately I'm back for Essendon, so I'm going to see them lose again a lot over the next 12 months. <laughs> but, you know, if I go to the MCG and drink Bolter, I was like, cool. Now, I remember going to the MCG a couple of years ago and Goose Island IPA was on tap and I messaged Tiff and I was like, how cool is this? Well done, thank you. So, whatever. You know, if it shifts people away from drinking Carlton Draft or Great Northern, it makes my job easier when people want to drink good beer in Bendigo to shift them to then move on to the Indies. So, so Gab's festival is just sold as well? Yeah. Yep. How much is Bendigo on a hop going to go for? <laughs> Uh, so we can't really sell it. <laughs> um, so we've just sort of, so the change the sort of structure now. So I think I might give you a little bit of a, a scoop, um, cause anyone outside of Bendigo doesn't really know yet, but we're building a brew pub. So wow. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I go, yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm the last one to the party, but um, it's so really... I'm just the email in CUV now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all the line Nathan reps and CUV reps and Benny going, oh, really? Right, cool. We'll just lock up everyone else, you know. Um, no, we're building a brew pub because we've been doing this for a long time. I know I've been doing this for eight years, but we're, we just need a home. We need, we need to... Um, put our money where our mouth is we've been telling everyone else to get on this bandwagon um and it's been great fun but we're now at the point now where we want we want somewhere to use as a base to then um bring people in and as in bring in the local community to to what we what we do and how beer is made and all that sort of thing but also create it as a um a, uh, a beacon for people to come up from from Melbourne or around Australia to, to come to Bendigo and experience beer. So, you know, we've we've bought a glycol homebrew system, so you can do a 50 litre pilot batch. People can learn how to brew. Um, we'll have a five heck brew house with um, you know capacity that will not see us distribute. So, this is another reason I don't think CB will buy us um, because we're not going to distribute. So we're only going to make beer for the local community. Um, we're not going to package. So the only way you can drink the beer is to come into the brew pub or get a growler takeaway. That's it. It's so exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. So how that ties into Bendigo on the Hop is that we've had to start a company now that is not not-for-profit. It is for-profit to protect that entity so that we can still have control over that and drive education through that. But having said that, the Bendigo Beer not-for-profit sits totally to the side of that. Um, we're just in the middle of interviewing for another four committee members um, for Bendigo Beer because we that is really the beacon for education and, as I said, antagonising change and being that um, leader for uh, getting new people onto, more, more drinkers onto independent beer. So... Yeah, so it's like I haven't got enough to do, so I've just added another big business to the side. <laughs> so it's scary, um, but as I said, I've sort of been involved from a banking point of view with, I think it's about eight, seven or eight breweries now. Um, I see how they've done things. They tell me what they wish they'd done differently. 
so we've I guess we've just taken that on board and it's been really great too because a lot of breweries are like cool you guys are starting a brewery awesome I'll come up and help you and um, I'll come and help you set it up and I've had a couple of brewers say I'll come and commission it for you and all that sort of thing and I was like oh this is awesome it feels like all the things that we've been doing for free for a long time has been repaid and it's really great because it feels as I said I like being involved since 2011 when the community was a lot smaller and everyone was mates and now there's 700 breweries and everyone's sort of mates on the it's like you know they're mates to your face and all that sort of thing and there's still that increased level of competition now to get that offers of help is really awesome I love it yeah but anyway we're excited and great great for Bendigo like yeah just it's just great to have a an honest place that you can go and drink local yes as well i mean as great as it is to have you know all the beers coming into bendigo great to have bendigo beer yeah there at the source yes yeah so exciting so yeah the name's not very imaginative it'll just be called bendigo brewing um (laughs) but we thought bendigo beer bendigo on the hop bendigo brewing (laughs) so look it saves you time you've got enough to do as you can tell ladies and gentlemen i'm a marketing manager from a long way back um but um yeah we're really excited um we've we're lucky enough to have eight breweries around the bendigo region um but still no brew pub in the middle of town and we've been asking other breweries to do it and it sort of gets to a point and then they lose focus or whatever so it was like, okay, let's just do it ourselves. So we're doing it. Fantastic. Yeah, well, so. that's really something to look forward to. And um, and so, in terms yeah. terms of time scale, you're going to be up and running this time twelve next months. year. Yeah. yeah, twelve months. So hopefully we've we've already got the site. Um, the landlord's fan has just been brilliant in supporting um, what we want to do. Um, so he's 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 on board, um, and we're really lucky to have a great landlord um, that that wants to help. Um, but yeah, again. There's um, six directors, of which I'm one, and the other five are passionate advocates for Bendigo, passionate beer people, um, but also very business-minded. So it'll be very similar to the model that we started Handlebar with, where we've got a director, we've got a board of directors, and we are, we run the company, but the company is answerable to those shareholders, of which I would largely say mostly most are you know Bendigo beer lovers that have invested in handlebar and just want to see it succeed and know that we're not in it for the money um and we put our hand up straight away and say oh by the way if you invest in this we're not going to get your money back real quick you know um whilst they scroll looking at yeah, Malta's sale yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll yeah. be easy we can easily get our money back too yeah but I, I think if we're not distributing and not packaging i don't think we'll be a takeover target and i think look to be honest just or to divert the conversation back to Bolter, i think the implications on the independent industry is that what we're looking to do here in Bendigo, you'll see a lot more of around Australia where it's like, okay, well, the national distribution craft beer market's pretty much been stitched up by those that have been in it a long time. I think if you're a new entrant to the market now and don't have multi-million dollar backers, the answer is just to make beer for your local community and and, uh, make a good living doing that because you still can make good money with beer if margins everything so if i don't have to pay a sales rep or if i don't have to 
wait 90 days to get my invoices paid or I don't have to buy bottles and cans and then keg it and then ship it and then I just make beer and sell it over the bar or take away and growlers. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. So never say never. We might get this massive offer of money to invest and start distributing if the beer's really good, um, which I hope it will be. Um, it has to be now. You can't open a brewery with bad beer anymore like you could five, six years ago. Um, so, yeah, the tolerance for bad beer is not there as what it used to be. Um, so I'm nervous because you're always nervous because it's the brand and you put all this effort in. But um, as a collective, you know, all, all six of us directors are really excited and we're fully, you know, we've got no problems about Bendigo supporting it. That's no worries at all. Um, it's just getting everything else done and on time while having full-time jobs and kids and running festivals and <laughs> uh, I still play in bands so you know we're playing gigs and not sleeping yeah that sounds great what a life oh, it's so <laughs> good moves to regional Victoria my younger <laughs> work bro- life balance my younger brother does call me Peter Pan so he's like oh, what are you doing this yeah, Peter Pan yeah. well I think we're we're off to choice four choice four um Funnily enough, we were talking about Mountain Goat. Another beer that changed my life was Mountain Goat Fancy Pants. Um, I, it remember, I remember when it came out, it was in the 640ml bottles and um, instantly had a liking to it. I think Galaxy Hops was taking off around that time. I think about 2014, 2013, 14. I think it was about 2014. Um, and... Yeah, Dave said, oh, this is the beer that I'd make if I had more money. This is what Hightail would taste like if I had more money um, sort of thing. And I was like, don't worry about money. Just make this beer. It's awesome. And, um, I remember buying it by the half dozen. Um, and I'd go down to Melbourne and bother Wags and Mark Waghorn, who was the national sales manager there. And he'd sort of find some you know, stock for me and I'd bring it home. Or I'd go to the dispensary and... He'd get it in and I'd buy half of it straight away. And, yeah, it was just a, a magnificent beer. I think it was the first um, am, amber ale that I really latched onto. And then I'd have to give an honourable mention to Two Brothers Grizz as well. That was just, on tap, was just amazing beer. Um, but, yeah, the Fancy Pants was was one that really um, was a memorable beer that, that um, changed me. And... Uh, I remember they first decided to put it in cans and Simon Frake drove up to Bendigo with one of the first slabs off the rank and gave it to me and uh, it was like a proud dad moment. (laughs) 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 I wouldn't let anyone else drink it. Um, So, yeah, Fancy Pants was just a great beer. And I think the the Galaxy Hops thing, I think that was kind of a year where Stonewood Pacific Ale really there must have been a, a really good harvest of Galaxy Hops that year because <laughs> yeah. it really came to the fore and um, Fancy Pants there is rumours afoot that Hytel's going to go out of production and be yeah. replaced by F- Fancy Pants as a as a core range so interesting isn't it because yeah. it's more hop forward yeah, yeah. so it, maybe that's a sign of you know how th- things have changed um, mm. or you know taste evolving but I haven't had a Fancy Pants for a long time as I said I'm sort of staunch indie supporter but I don't know if it ever, I've ever come across it I think I'll buy one for old time's sake and see how it tastes but um, yeah that I, just that um, toffee uh, you know malt 
backbone, fluffy head with the tropical, um, you know, passion fruit pineapple, whatever you want to call it, out of Galaxy. It depends on what your taste buds are like. But um, it was just such a good beer to drink. And, um, yeah, I love that beer. I love that beer. Yeah, I think... Um you can almost use all those adjectives to describe Two Birds Sunset yes. as well, yes. which is yeah. in that kind of same That's ballpark. another beer I absolutely yeah. loved um, when it first came out, the Sunset Ale, and on tap as well was just yeah. just a cracking beer, and Jane's just such an awesome brewer and legend of a person, and she um, you know, was good enough to get that up to us as well when that came out, and that always sold really well too, and still does. Yeah. And a beer yeah. as well, like both of those beers. Great cold in summer, great yes. warm in a little bit warmer in winter. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all round beers, yeah. and I think it's it is a kind of neglected style. Uh, because it's not it cool just, anymore, is it? Yeah, it just doesn't get. And I think I don't know. There's, there's a colour that puts people off, or but I don't. I I just love it myself. Yeah. I love the toffee I think, malt. Um, yeah, I'm having that. You know, when you go around, you go through the craft beer evolution. Like you start, it's like you're drinking you know you're drinking macro beer and then someone gives you something that's a little bit different you're like oh my god what's this and then you move on to go okay what else is on and then you discover hops and you're like oh my god and then you discover barrel age and then all of a sudden you're better than everyone else and you start telling everyone how crap (laughs) their beer is and then everyone latches onto it so you think cool well, I'm not the cool kid anymore. I'll just go back to drinking something I used to drink. And all of a sudden you find yourself drinking Pilsners and telling everyone, oh, Hazy's a shit. And then, you know, sort of like, I've been through that evolution. <laughs> and now I'm just old and tired. And I just want to, I just want to drink good beer. And, and I really lamented the fact that there's not a lot of breweries making a good amber ale or a, I think Akasha make a fantastic amber ale. Um, yeah, but the Two Brothers Grizz is still amazing um yeah i really i don't know everyone's sort of into the hazy and the well you either go one way or the other at the moment i think you're either hashtag crispy boy or hashtag hazy boy like i was like well what about hashtag malt boy in the middle <laughs> amber yeah a toffee boy or something toffee boy there you go i did go i did go to a private boys school yeah so. <laughs> toffee boy yeah rather thank you chaps yeah, have an amber ale thank you oh rather <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> yeah. Toffee boy grammar does sound mm. like the place to be. Um, Hashtag toffee boy. There you go. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that could be a name of a, an amber ale. I'm going to make an amber ale yeah. in a new brewery and call it toffee boy. <laughs> uh, choice five. Choice five is a beer that I had uh, when I was in America. Um, I've been over there a couple of times. I've been in New York and... Uh, it's actually pre, pre or post. I can't remember, but it was Good Beer Week. No, it was pre Good Beer Week 2013. So it would have been the end of 2012. But Miro, um, I mentioned to Miro, I was like, "Hey man, I'm going to New York. You got to hook me up with the guys at Brooklyn because I just love the Brooklyn Lager and the Brooklyn beers." So he was good enough to, you know, sort of give me some hints and tips and I rocked up on the Sunday and there's a massive long line and I tweeted them in those days. That's when I was on Twitter um, and wore my Bendigo beer hoodie everywhere. So that when I walked in, they were like, yeah, who's this guy? And that was really good. But so I, was, I suppose I'm giving an honourable honorable mention to the Brooklyn Lager. But on the way back from New York, we stopped over in LA and I went to the Library Ale House in Santa Monica 
and again use Twitter to send him some messages like hey mate I'm from Australia I just in town I just wonder if I could come in and check it out he's like and he was like yeah whatever you know just another like from you know whatever mate <laughs> this is the home of beer nerds you're not you're not special you're not cutting through yeah but when I got there and again it was like 35 degrees but I had my Benny Go beer t-shirt or hoodie I can't remember I just wanted so that they knew who I was and um the warm welcome that I got was just amazing. It was so good. And I was with my wife and um, anyway, she's like, oh, another beer bar. But she loves beer, so I'm all good, so no worries. Her dad owns a pub, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we walked into the library at Ale House and he sat me down and um, I said, oh, cool, so you know, what do you recommend? I'm in your hands. And they gave me a El Segundo White Dog Wheat IPA. Wow. There's a lot going on there. There's a bit going on. One, I had to learn Mexican to speak. No, it was so El Segundo White Dog Wheat IPA. So essentially it was um, a, obviously the wheat, it wasn't a wheat beer. They used wheat to just soften the mouthfeel, but it was um, West Coast and New Zealand hops, but it had some mango and peach in it. They actually used mango and peach. So it was a danky, grassy, piney, fruit salad. Oh, I'm running out of description. It was like, but sort of looked like a ha- it looked like a hazy IPA, sort of what it does now anyway. Um, and it blew my mind. It was just like the first real sort of IPA that had all these things going on. Um, it was just a memorable beer, and, and I just, yeah, drank like two pints of it straight away. Yeah, and he tried to take me through the rest of the beer list, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to stick with this one because I don't think it's the best beer I've had the whole time I've been in America. Because so. often with those beers with lots going on, I mean, they're great for the first couple of mouthfuls, yeah. and then you, you kind of get it, a bit overwhelmed or yeah, bored or yeah. like they become a bit sickly or something. What yeah. was it about this beer that really... Um, I think the ultimate test for me with IPAs is if I give it to my wife and she likes it, it's fantastic because one she's got a better palate than me but two she's not really a massive fan of bitter double ipas or anything like that this was a 6.7 i think 6.7 6.9 something like that so high high abv but it was so drinkable it was it was just a silk ride it was just delicious silk ride has uh, got to be a name of another, another beer so we, we, we could we come up with your whole I don't know. I've had my first you. coffee in 12 weeks <laughs> I'm, I don't know where this shit's coming from but anyway silk ride I know um, yeah and it was just it was awesome and I remember the the aroma but then the the experience on the back of the palate was totally different to the aroma I was like okay so west coast at the front fruit salad at the back what the what again like complexity with balance is so difficult to achieve so me being the beer nerd I was like emailing El Segundo going do you need a distributor in Australia I'm happy you know send it out I'm happy to you know do it don't have to pay me just send me cases of this never got a response and (laughs) just just because they're we're not going to distribute it to your house yeah exactly (laughs) it's like nah mate (laughs) <laughs> pretty sure as soon as it hits your doorstep you're not going to give it to anyone but um so they didn't fall for it but um i still remember i said oh so you know you got any australian beers on tap or do you ever because i i could hook you up with mountain goat 
you know, no worries at all. They'll because at that time I think Dave and Cam were shipping beer off to Japan or whatever, and they were dabbling in export. So and the the look of disbelief that I was even stupid enough to ask that question was priceless. It was, they said, "Oh, dude." Do you, have you, do you know how many breweries we have within 50Ks of this bar? Like, seriously, we don't we don't have any room for any other than local. And I was like, yeah, fair call. Okay, well, I just thought I'd try, but, you know, I was like, yeah, cool, right. So um, I always try, but that's where, I, where I've got a little bit of confidence too in the local beer market. I think there's still so much scope for growth. Everyone's... I suppose, you know, as I said, we're sitting here a day after Bolter is sold and a lot of the online noise has been around, oh, well, what does this mean for independent beer? And, is, you know, this is this, the market's got limits. I don't think it does. Um, I think there's always going to be a market for local, you know, family-owned or, or community-owned. Um, yeah, so anyway, that was, that was a beer that I still remember to this day. I can still taste it. Well, we've been on a great beer journey. We've got one more choice to go and then a receptacle to drink these beers out of and, a, and, a mm. sna- and your snack yep. as well. But let's go to choice six. Choice six, my last one. Um, it's not called this anymore, but it's the Monster Mash IPA from the boys at Kaiju. Um, Due to uh, legal reasons, I yeah, believe. Yeah, they, yeah. They yeah, no, they had to yeah. rename... Unfortunately, well, it's ironic that a, such a high alcohol beer had less angry people than teenagers drinking out of a 500 mil can. But yeah, um, the Kaiju, I think it's called a Kaiju double IPA now. Yeah. So the Monster Mash IPA. Um, and again, it was in a 500 mil bottle, drinking from the dispensary in, in Chancery Lane in Bendigo. And it was just a just well made double IPA that hid the alcohol really well. But you still knew you were drinking a, a double IPA. Um, Callum's just one of the best blokes you'll ever meet. His brother Nat is a typical brewer. I love him to death. We've had our arguments. Um, <laughs> my my fondest memory of Nat is when we had a pretty um, uh, honest and open conversation across the table at Hendo's 40th at the Ale House. So we're at Hendo's 40th and... Um, We'd all had a few, obviously, being Hendo, and uh, and I was having a robust discussion with Nat about how people who market beer are just as important as people who make beer. <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong statement to tell a brewer. <laughs> so, and he's like, "Nah, man, you know," and he's just going about people marketers. They don't know it's all bullshit and it's all fancy stuff, you know. And I said, "Yeah, but you're on the you're on the mountain yelling down at the." the village i'm in the village amongst the villagers (laughs) trying to explain what the hell you're trying to say to them because they don't understand gobbledygook from brewers and anyway he sort of at the end of the day got got a hug and you know we're all we're all mates and you know and and since then we you know we get along really well he's one of my favorite people so he's just an awesome brewer and so smart he's just incredibly gifted um and I think that's why I like staring him because I love a good, robust discussion. <laughs> but, yeah, Cal's a great guy. The, the Kaiju beers are just magnificent. They're so lucky to have Fiona Lane there now who, you know, as I said, ex-Stone and Wood, she's just a gun and still to this day, you know, so supportive of what we do up here. Mm-hmm. And I dropped in to see 
Grum and the guys at Exit, which is Kaiju as well, and Fee was there, and it was just like old old friends, you know. So great beers, Kaiju beers. They are um, Metamorphosis ugh. Double IPA, Tulu, yeah, Tulu, yeah. the which the uh, Black IPA, which there aren't enough Black IPAs. That's a tremendous one. Oh my god, and I could then go on about out red. Yeah, it, so many great beers in They're that just so, kind of, in that space. So and well made great design yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah just so much to like about yep about them yeah like, love them but i've got like as i said that 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 sort of set me on a path to to the to the proper west coast ipas and you know i've got a lot of honorable mentions in this form like like um hendo's hop bazooka from southern bay that was one that changed a lot of people um he himself would a bit he made it with at making a loss he just made it because the beer was supposed to be best worry about the money later because it wasn't his money but anyway um uh the, the bridge road uh bling ipa which is one of my all-round favorites multi bigger ipa um but yeah and my brother-in-law up at revel he makes his double ipa is probably one of the best i've ever drunk i don't really want him to know that i said that I don't like to give him too many pats on the back, being my brother-in-law, but he's just a... Matty Cuthbert's just a legend of a brewer. Um, and, it's, again, just makes beers so technically well. Um, and that's, I suppose, they're all beers in that IPA category that they're not trying to be what they're anything other than what they are supposed to be. So, yeah, the Kaiju Monster Mash double IPA was just unreal and also yeah. those beers are not they're not going to be the core range they're not going to be something that's you know in your fridge all the time but still well worth making <laughs> like because they do change minds yeah, they, do. they do broaden palates and they yeah. do excite people yeah and yeah. Uh, i suppose one thing within with independence is that you know and i've spoken to people in Non, the non-independent sector who said, "Oh, we can't sell double IPAs because our marketing team, you know, they're difficult to shift." And it's like that—that is—that's what we have to fight for. Yeah. If we're if we're fighting for independence, we're fighting for double IPAs. <laughs> but we're fighting for exciting, yes. non-homogenized beer. Yeah. Because you know, in my experience in Britain, I grew up in an era that the homogenization had gone full tilt and there was no choice yes and that's what we have to fight against ultimately that's what independence is about is choice and your right to to um choose where your money goes um the great thing about beer is it doesn't matter and i've got some you know um great friends that brew at little creatures still um you know i've got yeah friends that work for macro breweries but it's the ability for independent brewers to explore, innovate, antagonise that the bigger breweries don't really get to. So, yeah, that's what I love about it, um, the fact they can make yeah, double IPAs and not have to worry about the marketing team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which are as important as the brewer. Oh, uh, so. yeah. <laughs> well, when I say market, I'm not really marketing. I'm more of a, 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 how should I say, a megaphone for independent local breweries that can't afford a marketing team. Well, what did, what did George Orwell say about advertisers? He said it's just <laughs> rattling a stick in a swill bucket. 
It's a, I think that's a, oh, I prefer you can't really polish a turd, but you can roll yeah. it in glitter. You know, that, that's always one of my favourites. Um, that definitely wasn't all well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a snack and a receptacle to drink these beers. Uh, out of. Yeah, I had to write these down. I kept forgetting, but at home, um, at home, I'll always use a tulip glass. I think it's a great all rounder. My favourite ones. The one from I got from the Weedy, I think it's a in Adelaide. I think it's a um, Riedel, um, very thin tulip glass, and just everything tastes awesome out of it. But when I'm at the pub, nothing beats a good pint glass. I just I don't I sound hypocritical because in the early days I always used to tell people, you know, you need to think about what you drink. Well, now we're lucky enough to have such a plethora of options that I don't need to think about what I want to drink anymore. I just want to enjoy. A beer and talk about footy, politics, family, cricket, whatever, um, and not worry about having a massive long conversation. <laughs> what's in it? So, yeah, when I'm at the pub or you know, handlebar and um, around town, a good pint glass is can't be beaten. I must yeah. make a confession here. One of the um, receptacles. What a, it's such a rubbish word, receptacle. Um, but yeah, it's, the be- it's the best one to describe because yes. I can't say glass because, and this is the point why I have to use the word receptacle because one of my favourite receptacles is the Bendigo on a hop. Oh, thank like you. I, I keep, I've got a couple in the cupboard at home and I keep wow. reaching for them. Right. And it's against all my instinct to drink it's out plastic. of plastic. Yeah. But I, there's something about it. I just really love okay. about the the lip on it. The yeah. just yeah. cool. Great. I do. I do. I must admit, it's a bit of a kick when you, you go through, you flick through your Instagram feed or social media feed, and people have high, um, poured their beer in that into a Bendigo on the hop glass. It's pretty cool. I was I was going to yeah. text you last night actually because I, <laughs> I was drinking a Kaiju Metamorphosis IPA out of the Bendigo on the beer. Oh, there you go. I think this is all... Yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I suppose it's a tip of the hat to Ben at Crafted Glassware. Yeah. Um, He's done a great job, but um, uh, a little bit of bad news. We're probably going to have to change our glasses next year um, just to... For environmental reasons, we're looking at ways of getting rid of the plastic tasting cups. Um, That seems to be the only thing people don't like about our festival, but we're like, okay, cool, but we use that to keep the lines down so that you get served quicker Um, because we're all grumpy, you know, mid-30s to mid-40s. People with kids, we don't have time to be waiting in lines like we used to in our 20s. So anyway, we're we're trying to come up with a way to be more environmentally sort of friendly with that um but yeah the bennett craft it's done a great job with those glasses and snack snack oh yeah snack i like a chevalier saison with um arnott's barbecue shapes that's a good C- one classic pairing classic pairing <laughs> mainly because um my kids don't like barbecue shapes so they're, they're always the ones left over and so and i love barbecue shapes um but i spent last christmas up in Brisbane with my, you know, with obviously my sister-in-law and, and Maddie Cuthbert in Brisbane, and we were sitting in the pool nearly every day, and his IPA is cracking, and Hendo was in the pool with us, and he put me on to cheese twisties and IPA, so I got onto that as well. So, yeah, t- cheese twisties and IPA is pretty good, um, but yeah, saison and barbecue shapes, pretty good too. 
<laughs> well, shout out to uh, Lindsay, uh, who was at Molly Rose, I think is back at Stomping Ground, who was previous guest of the show. Oh, yeah. Um, she actually hosted a, at Molly Rose, hosted a crisp or chips and beer pairing so that sounds right up your street so okay i'll, I'll gotta let get you know, around i'll get let you around. know next time Lindsay hosts one of those uh i'll get around it but def- definitely not great for your health <laughs> but um great for enjoyment so yeah. but th- this is as I say we're recording uh right at the end of the year after the bolter takeover and this is the last episode of the year trev it's been a pleasure it's been a, 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 such a great journey as well what a great episode episode to end on thanks so much all right perfect thanks thanks for having me and um invitation to anyone that wants to come up and check bendigo out um just hit hit us up uh even though we're all very busy i've always got time to meet up with beer reps or beer lovers or you just want to explore the town or if you don't if you've been here never been here before uh and you just want to know where to go by all means just message us and we'll let you know where to to get onto some good beer locally here well, I'll put all the links uh, for how people contact you in the show notes as yeah, well yeah, for cool. anyone who's interested. Yeah, no and thanks again. Thanks, mate. So that was it. Trev Burks from Bendigo Beer. Such exciting news about what's happening in Bendigo and really excited about seeing how that develops towards the end of next year as well. I'm sure we'll get a chance to revisit Trev once that's all up and running. And thanks so much to Trev for making the time to record and share his beer journey with me. And thanks to you for listening. It, it, it's it been such an exciting year for the podcast with its first live episode, charting in the top five of the food iTunes chart thing, which I'm not sure whether that means very much, but it's fun. And... And so nice to see how many people across Australia, but also how many people from overseas listen as well, including lots of Americans. So if you are listening from beyond Melbourne, do get in touch, uh, thechosenbrewau at gmail.com or on Instagram or Twitter at The Chosen Brew, or on Facebook. I'm not amazing on social media, so it may take me uh, a couple of days to get back to you, but I will. And if you've sent me something and I haven't got back to you, just let me know. I, I <laughs> Just let me know. Uh, life is busy uh, doing this podcast and also the Wheel of Sports podcast with Matt Lavery which has also had a really big year. So I'd love to hear from you. And we are recording this near the summer holidays in Australia, near Christmas time. And if you would like to give a Christmas present to the podcast, just leave a review somewhere, wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. And if you do leave a review, uh, let me know as well, because uh, I don't always uh, check and have access to all the different platforms the podcast goes out to. So, yeah, drop me a line. And if you are not one of the chosen few as well, if you go onto the chosenbrewau.com, our pop up box will uh, be there that you can just type in your email. And I promise not to harass you or bombard you with anything. Uh, I probably just have time to send you about, on average, one email every 15 months. So, what a great deal that is. Don't miss out. And in the meantime, keep drinking good beer. And what a good episode to round out 2019. Bye-bye.